To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have back on Dan Picard. Dan Picard, he's my bow hunting brother over there at Eastman's. Uh, you know, anytime we get together, whether it's on a podcast, off a podcast, a, a function for Eastman's, you can always find me and Dan gravitating towards each other and and talking in-depth bow hunting. He absolutely loves it with every fiber of his being the same as me. And so it just makes for really interesting conversations. So we start out today talking about high country mule deer. He's just talked with the biologist in the Grays River area, has some really interesting facts about the herd and uh, kind of the dynamics of everything. And, and then we get into our own hunts and own experiences. And, and we talk about uh, elk hunting. Dan absolutely loves hunting elk. And, and I do too. And so uh, it, it makes for a really good in-depth conversation about tips and tactics. He tells the story of last year's bull, which is his biggest bull to date, which was just released on Beyond the Grid or Internet TV show. Make sure to check it out. It's an absolute giant bull. What a specimen. So happy for that guy, too. He just works so hard at it. Uh, so, so it just makes for, for a great conversation and a great podcast. I really enjoyed it, and I know you guys will enjoy it too. Just want to thank a couple of our sponsors real quick. I want to thank Sitka Hunting Gear. They are building the absolute best technical mountaineering gear on the planet. They, they've got a different system for, for every hunt that you do, and, and you don't have to buy a new system for every hunt. It's just adding a piece of gear here or there. And so I'm just getting weather, just getting done with a hot weather hunt. Man, those ascent pants just breeze so well. I've never worn a pair of pants that are cooler in that 90, 100 degree heat. They just breathe and they let the wind through them. The same as their lightweight hoodie. Their lightweight hoodie has a hood on it, which I love to keep my ears and my neck out of the sun. But but the fabric just allows that, just allows your, your body to breathe and allows that wind to blow through that shirt, which evaporates your sweat, which in turn cools you down. Like that's how our bodies cool. And that Sitka is building the best gear for it. Um, so I absolutely love it for hot weather hunts, cold weather hunts. Their new uh, insulated jacket, um, I, I believe it's their Kelvin jacket, their new one they just came out with. Uh, man, what a great warmth to weight ratio. They're constantly evolving all their gear. They're evolving the fit, evolving the the, the, the fabric, uh, the, the technical specifications of their gear and the way it operates. They're just always evolving it to build the absolute best gear on the planet. Like that, that new um, Kelvin jacket is just amazing. Um, the warmth to weight ratio, uh, gosh, the, the way it's designed, the pockets go inside the, um, inside the insulation to keep your hands warm. Just a, a really well-designed jacket that I'm in love with. And then you guys have heard me talk about their insulated pants. They just came out with a brand new pair that's a three-quarter cut. I believe they weigh 17 or 18 ounces, so super lightweight. These things come with me everywhere. Makes such a difference when you get on the vantage point and the wind's blowing or uh, cold weather hunts or even these September elk hunts. 
Uh, I have these these puffball pants on quite a bit, but this new pair is absolutely amazing. I'm in love with them. I, I'm in love with all their gear, from hot weather hunts to cold weather hunts, everywhere in between. They just build a great system that keeps you comfortable and out there longer so you can be more effective in the mountains. Uh, so thanks to Sitka Gear for sponsoring the podcast. I really appreciate it. I love this company. If you guys are in the market for any new piece of gear, make sure to message me and ask me about it and check out Sitka. They're just building great gear. And with that, um, check out everything we've got going on over there at Eastman's. I really appreciate their support. You know, with this podcast, I also have Eastman's Flycast, a fly fishing specific podcast. And I have Dan Picard on as a guest, I believe coming up. This week or next, uh, as he's been fly fishing a bunch this summer in Wyoming. So it's great conversation, but I really enjoy doing this podcast, and I appreciate your guys' support on that. This podcast, uh, check out the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal, uh, that Beyond the Grid. Uh, Dan's got that new episode coming out with his biggest bull to date, which we talk about in this podcast. Make sure to check out that, the internet TV show. Uh, just got finished up filming that that high country hot weather hunt where I arrowed a really good buck. I'm not sure which platform it's going to come out on, whether it's beyond the grid on the internet or it's going to be uh, Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. But be uh, be on the lookout for that. I'll make sure to give you guys a heads up. Should make for just an awesome film. It was such a great adventure. And um, yeah, I think that's. I think that's it. Oh, Eastman's Tag Hub. Make sure to check out that. That's our internet internet research tool. Uh, uh, it's just a great tool for learning these other states and tags and opportunities they have. Uh, I use it absolutely all the time for all the hunts that I'm going on. So, yeah, it, it takes, you know, all our MRS da- data, which is our members research section in the magazine, and it compiles it all in one place in a searchable internet tool and there's more information in there you know as well like I I told you guys about the graph that had all the Pope and Young elk ever harvested in all these states and the dates they were harvested and made this graph to kind of show you know what the best rut hunt dates are Uh, just an amazing tool make sure to check out that and uh, I sure appreciate the all the support that Eastman's gives me with with, with everything I do, with the, the podcasts and the, the filming, the writing, I, I just, um, it, it's so cool to be connected to a company with such a rich history in Western hunting. So uh, really appreciate that. I appreciate you guys. Um, and with that, let's get into this podcast. So my good buddy, Dan Picard, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Way cool. Well, we should get into this hunting podcast, Dan. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I've got Dan Picar live here. Um, Dan, man, it's been a while since we visited. It's good to catch up to you. Yeah, definitely. It's good to be back, and I, I do have a confession to make. Okay. Um, I stood up Brian yesterday. Uh, I, I came into the office, and Guy came back, and he was talking to the biologist over in western Wyoming, and I was so immersed in the conversation, and my phone was on silent. I totally missed our uh, appointment to talk about, uh, to do our podcast, and so I missed a day, and I feel horrible about it, so I'm going to kind of 
spill some of the information that I learned yesterday about Western Wyoming. And it's not information, but just really cool, interesting facts that I learned. If we have just a minute, Brian, is that all right? Oh, yeah, you bet. Okay, so this biologist over there in Western Wyoming, he's been there 30 years. And just the level of documentation that he has on these mule deer on the from the winter range and the summer studies is incredible. But some of the, the interesting things that I took away from it was these bucks, he's he's darted them and, and weighed some of these mule deer bucks in the summer, and they've topped 350 pounds. Wow. And, and this is just a giant body deer, and we've both killed deer in that country, and, and you know what they're like. They're just like a next-level next specimen of a mule deer up there. But they'll go from 350 and then down on the winter range after the rut, they'll be just over 200 pounds. So they'll lose well over 100 pounds after the rut. Man, Dan, that is unreal. That's Yeah, that's just like numbers that are incredible to me and, and what those deer endure. Okay, so he, he says that there's 30,000 deer uh, in that part of the state on the winter range, which is down from you know four or five years ago. It was up to 42,000. But he was saying that these bucks down there, they'll, they'll reach 26 inches wide their second year. Like we're talking 26 inch wide, four point frame type deer at age two, which I thought that was just incredible. That is incredible. And then lastly, so there's, there hasn't been a doe hunt over there for a lot of years. And he thinks the the best of their counts, they lose 2000 deer and a lot of does a year just from highway collisions. And so he's like, that's, that's our doe hunt right there is, you know, deer getting hit on the highway. But, you know, they, they have 12,000 bucks in Western Wyoming out of that group of 30,000. That's what their buck to doe ratio is right now is 12,000. And hunters kill about a thousand from, you know, the non-resident and resident hunting. So a thousand out of 12,000. So hunting has nothing to do with the deer decline, the you know, the buck decline over there. Winters, obviously, is the number one thing, and they lost 90% of the fawn crop in 2017. So that was a dramatic, um, you know, a population decline or a, a deer die-off that year. But what they saw were, of course, the young deer, you know, the fawns, they, they died in the really old deer died from that year, um, so, which is kind of to be expected. But uh, winters and predation, and then you have hunting, which he, he says it plays zero to little impact on the deer population, which, you know, we that's what we'd expect, which I thought that was very interesting. One last thing, they collared two fawns that year, the year of the, the really harsh winter down there, 2016, 2017. And these two fawns, they made it through the winter and they're both still alive and they're both bucks and they're both over 300 pounds now, uh, which is, you know, four years later, but they never have reached over a two by three or a two point frame. And he thinks there's something going on with, you know, that really bad winter. They're in so such rough shape that 
they they don't breed like it steered them like it it killed their reproductive organs or something and and they're like a steer they they don't rut and they're just giant bodied blocky headed bucks that don't grow big antlers so that that kind of brought up a new thing that they're going to look at on on how you know the weather and the temperatures is that's what's causing you know these quote unquote cactus bucks scenarios bad winters or just you know, fawns that have had it rough. I thought that was super interesting as well. Oh my gosh. Um, what great information, Dan, to be a fly on the wall during that conversation. I would have stood you up too. There's so much good (laughs) Intel in there. Um, no, uh, and it was no big deal. Like I say, we run a pretty loose schedule, so we were just able to connect this morning, but what wild information. Like I, I knew those deer, they, they are such giant bodies and giant specimens like those, like those Colorado bucks or like, and I know when I kill them in the early season, those things are stretching the, the scale to 250 to 300 pounds. So, you know, to hear him say that those deer can go 350 pounds, man, uh-huh. that is incredible. That's dang near the size of a cow elk. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Cow elk, spike elk. Yeah. It's, it's a small elk for sure, but it just goes to show you like how good a feed is up there in the summer range, which, which we know, but those bucks just get so big and fat after a summer of living in the high country. One other thing too, that he noted, he has 26 bucks collared with radio collars. And last year, only two of those bucks were harvested. And he sees that trend year after year, but it just goes to show you how many bucks get away from hunters those old big wise bucks and i guess one of his bucks that he has collared was well over 200 and you know they they avoid hunters they stay away from hunters and that was just kind of a, another little statistic that he had where hunting has such a little impact on the buck population man well it it makes sense in that country those those deer get so good at avoiding hunters i mean you know that that bow season you know they can be a little susceptible at that beginning of september still living in their alpine zones and where you scout them in the summer is where they are but you know these deer they tend to to learn when hunting season is on and they feel that human pressure and it seems like uh you know you know i've done really well hunting high country mule deer in in late august early september but as i find that more and more guys start to hunt these seasons these bucks feel that pressure and they drop to that secondary living a lot sooner than they used to or maybe it's just year to year but around that september 5th time frame you know there's hardly any of those bucks left in those alpine basins they're still in the high country they just drop down into those timber into those shoots and slides and like I had an awesome high country hunt last year where I did nine days, and every single day I was going for a big next-level buck, maybe not a 200-inch buck, but 170, 180 all day, big body, giant wide frames and things. But these bucks would just get the better of me in that cover day in, day out. I'd get plays, and you know, you'd know, you set up on feeding features, waiting for them to come out in the afternoon, and the wind would swirl in the mountains, and those deer... I, I saw so many big deer and got so many stocks, but once they get into that secondary living, they're so much tougher to kill with a bow and arrow. And then, you know, they're just staging and getting ready for that early rifle season. And yeah, those bucks that grow up, 
man, they just learn those places where they don't get pressured, where they don't get hunted in there, and they're able to tighten up their programs and live in some of that thicker cover, and they're able to survive year after year. But that's just amazing, Dan. What great information. Yep, yep, and and you, you bring up a good point there just with the deer behavior and the seasons, and they do that for a reason because I was like, man, if, if they would just open up this archery season August 25th, that would – totally change it it would it would you know five days of velvet extra hunting when those deer in their summer modes would be a game changer for bow hunters but they he won't do it and they won't do it because you know by about the fifth or even the third i've seen once those bucks shed their velvet then they move down into that secondary stuff and so it's a it's perfect for him because, you know, he, he loves bow hunters because they, they don't kill many of them. And all they do is like, you know, quote unquote, harass them, <laughs> like harassing those velvet bucks on their summer range. And so they wise up and then, you know, September, September 15th hits and they're into the secondary living into the timber. And so those hunt, hunting seasons are just a recipe to save deer. That that's what what it is. So we're still lucky enough to be able to hunt them. But the, the the dates are set like that to save deer plain and simple yeah well and i like the way it's set up i mean i um it, you know it, you always have your corks or it could be a little bit different little bit you know like you say a little bit earlier season would be so beneficial to us bow hunters um but i'm glad it's set up that way that it's sustainable you know you, you talked about those winter range numbers going down from forty two thousand to thirty thousand. Um, which could have a, a large part to do with that 2017 winter, like you stated. Um, yep. But I'm just glad those populations can keep healthy and, and that these historic zones where mule deer live in all these western states just continue to be good hunting. And and um, I definitely did a lot of harassing last year, and I would <laughs> hate to be like a, a rifle hunter that followed me into these drainages and planned to hunt it September 15th because – you know, I sat on that vantage point for nine days and chased every good buck that I could lay eyes on and, and harassed every single buck in there. So you're right. Like, I just made it really tough for the rifle guys. And so, I, you know, me and my buddy Dan were even talking about that, that, you know, our pressure even from last year is going to change how the hunting is, change how many hunters go in there and continue to hunt because maybe they think it was a bad winter or poor hunting. No, it's, you just had Brian Barney in there chasing every single deer <laughs> around the mountainside. So when you went in there for rifle season, it just wasn't good hunting. But, you know, it, it, it could kind of change the dynamics of an area, just pressuring them around and harassing them like that. And um, so I can definitely see his point there. But I'm glad that these areas continue to be just great mule deer areas. And it's one of the things I love about hunting mule deer is it, you know, like his collared buck or 26 bucks collared and only two of them got harvested like Everybody wants a giant mule deer. Everybody wants one of these big next level wide mule deer, you know, and there, there's a bunch that live throughout all these units across the West, but they're really tough to kill. And it's one of the things I love about mule deer. Yep. 100% man. I couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. That's, that's where I'm at with it too. Nice. Well, um, uh, you are such an elk fanatic, but I know that um, you, you bend the early part of your season to where you're hunting mule deer, and uh, uh, I, I'm sure this year's no different. You're going to be chasing around Wyoming that early September? Yeah, I, I, I drew a limited entry uh, deer tag this year in Wyoming, and so I won't do my normal hunt 
in, in the high country. It's more of a desert unit, but it's more of a mig- migration thing. They, you know, they show up in, in, during the rut. And so um, I'm probably going to hunt that tag uh, around Halloween is what I'm going to do. And it's, it's one of those uh, tags where you, know, you have the last two weeks, October, to hunt mule deer, and then you have all of November to hunt whitetails. And so it's, it's going to be a little bit different of a year. I still got to go scout it. I'm going to go take a look here actually probably this next week coming up. And so, yeah, I may or may not hunt mule deer right off this year. It might be, I might be elk hunting. I drew an elk tag too here. So uh, I got all sorts of fun stuff this year. <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah. You always have a bunch going on. I can't wait to see what you turn up, but, um, it, it's cool to hunt new places. I, I've got a, um, you know, a, a lower country sage hunt as well, like, uh, uh, this year. And, and it's just fun to hunt these different habitats. And it's one of the beautiful thing about mule deer is you can hunt them all the way from the desert floor to the high country and you can find a big buck anywhere in there. He just has to grow up, you know, he just has to have, uh, the the right genetics and then grow to be that older age class. But how cool. Um, yeah, being a, a Wyoming resident, you probably – well, you, you've hunted bucks in the rut quite a bit in Montana, haven't you? Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep, for sure. I love those October – those uh, Halloween dates that you're talking about. I actually do better bow hunting, rutting mule deer in that beginning part of the rut than I do during the heart of the rut or towards the end of the rut. So those dates that you're talking about, those late October dates, those early November dates, man, those are prime time with a bow and arrow. And you with a coveted tag this year in some of that lower country in a rut hunt, man, I can't wait to see what you can turn up down there. Yeah, no, it's, it's all, there's always a chance of killing a giant. And like I say, it's something new for me, but it's going to be good. It'll, it'll be fun. And I love the timing as well. And, and just, you know, the, it's just a different type of deer hunting. And I was joking with uh, Todd the other day that I probably like, like rattling or just bow hunting, rutting deer, whether it's whitetail or mule deer, just as much as I like bow hunting elk during the rut like it's so exciting it's so fun you get interact with them and they get stupid crazy and and it's just an exciting way to to hunt those things man you're spot on yeah uh it, it is just as fun like hunting these species and being able to hunt them during the rut is just a special time to chase animals where they kind of throw caution into the wind catch bigger animals making mistakes in in hunting, I can see why you like hunting uh, uh, rutting mule deer uh, because it it is a lot like hunting elk. It's really aggressive. You're making plays. It's not such a patient, wait for him to bed, uh, methodical, planned out stock. It's almost just like go get into him and trust your instincts, and then try to get closer, take what those those animals will give you because they're always moving, chasing does, hardly ever sitting still. You know, a lot of times the bucks are crossing, and so you're trying to get in front of them, but you are right, man. That is an exciting, thrilling way to hunt, and um, it's awesome to take advantage of every year. Like, I love the early season stuff, but uh, yeah. I hold that that those rut hunts in pretty high regard like i absolutely love to chase deer during that rut so every year my montana tag is is for a rut hunt you know yep yep no i i see your bucks that you're killing every year out of out of your your rut hunts in november and it's it's super fun i mean you know it just as well as anybody it's a super fun way to bow hunt those mule deer yeah how cool and uh so you also drew a coveted elk tag this year 
Yeah, yeah, I got an elk tag around here. It's it's not that coated. It's not too hard to to draw or anything. But uh, I'll uh, yeah, I'll hunt that, and I might hunt it early. I got some trail cams up. I want to kind of see what's uh, moving around up there, and and we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, potential for a giant, but it should be a solid hunt all the way around. And so I might hunt that first thing, and and then my um, guy and my brother have limited entry elk tags in Montana, so I'm gonna go up and hunt with them. I'm going to film my brother this year and hunt with him. So I'm really looking forward to that over anything is, is going and hunting with my brother there for that opening week of archery. Wow. How cool. Did they draw the same tag or they got different units? Um, they, they have the same tag. Okay, cool. So, right on. Yeah. So you're going to go hunt it with your brother and then, uh, probably hunt and film with guy too. Yeah. I might, might have my camera guy, Tim. He's probably going to run, run around with guy and, and uh, he's gonna, guy's gonna let me hunt with my brother. So that's kind of a special thing. And I've been hunted with him for elk for oh several years now, one on one bow hunting with him with the tag. So um, yeah, I'm super excited about that opportunity. Man, how cool! Like it is, um, you know, our hunting seasons we get so busy. But a lot of the enjoyment is the people we get to spend it with. And, um, you know, you being able to go hunt your brother and being most excited for that hunt this season to go capture it and run around and try to kill his biggest bull to date. You know, that's really cool. I got that same thing, you know, with, with my family and hunting buddies. Is I, I was telling you, I think, before the podcast, my buddy Dan drew a good Nevada tag. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to go hunt it with him this year. And it's a tag that hopefully I'll eventually draw because I've got quite a few points and I've I've spent time in that unit before. So I think I'm as excited for that hunt and my buddy Dan and trying to help him kill his best bull than I am, you know, any of the hunts that I have coming up. So it, it is um, it's mixing and matching and being able to take advantage of these opportunities because tags are getting tougher to draw. And so to be able to go into these premium units, whether I'm the shooter or whether I'm just helping out and trying to capture some film. Um, man, it's, it's, uh, it's so fun to take advantage of and look forward to. And then, uh, I bet you and your brother have a lot of good laughs along the way too, huh? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm sure there'll be about every emotion possible <laughs> on this hunt, you know, <laughs> more of a trophy hunt and he gets pretty wound up. And so it'll, it'll be a lot of fun and hopefully we can capture all that emotion on film and, and stick a big old giant bulls. Dude, I can't so, wait to watch your film come out of your giant bull last year. Is that out on Beyond the Grid yet? Yeah, so it's it'll be released on YouTube on Saturday. Saturday. Um, I knew it was coming up, man. I cannot wait to watch that film. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. No, I'll have to – maybe I'll get you a link sent early so you can watch it early. But it, uh, it, it was a really fun one, just me and my camera guy, Tim, and we're on horseback, you know, way, way back in the backcountry and – and found a pocket elk and just had an experience of a lifetime with elk activity and elk action and, you know, shooting a giant bull. So it, for me, that was a Cinderella story of the perfect elk hunt, I guess. <laughs> well, um, you're, you're such a, a, a good elk hunter. You've been doing it for so long and paying your dues and hunted them. You've hunted them in so many different places and been successful on so many nice bulls, but uh, uh, nice to see you get the the cherry on top of like a, a giant bull, a giant wilderness bull. You know, that's, that's your best bull to date, isn't it, Dan? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for what sure. a what a bull, man. That thing is just special. It doesn't matter. When you kill a big bull, it doesn't matter which angle you take a picture, which angle you show that rack. He looks like a giant. I've seen that rack in front of your car. I've seen that rack on the back of horses. I've seen that rack, like, with you <laughs> with the bull. Dude, he looks like a giant from every single angle. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. He's he's just one of those. And, and you know what's weird? I, I compared him directly to – you know, those Western Wyoming mule deer, you know, he's, he's up high, living up high, way above timberline in the summer, I'm sure. And they just have that premium feed up there and he's just massive everywhere. Just gobs and gobs of fat on him, just super thick, massive antlers. And, you know, I was comparing uh, my, my dad's 370 bull that he killed a few years ago uh, in the breaks up there uh, to my bull and, the mass is just incredible. Like the world-class mass on this thing, he has everything. He doesn't have the inside spread to be, you know, a 375 bull, but just a super giant old mature fat bull. And and that's all that you can ask for is just, you know, that a specimen like that, it's just so special and unique to be around such uh, just a, a top level specimen. And you just, it's one of those things that you don't get to experience every year. Oh man, I would say I um you know I put tapes on a couple bulls like that and um but but yet to harvest one of that nature where uh you know and anything that gets like above that 350 level is just an absolute specimen but just like you said Dan there's something special about a mountain bull you know a Wyoming or a Montana big dark heavy horn mountain bull you know and and that's exactly what the bull that you killed was uh, just what a specimen and what a bull. Uh, man, that's a pretty special deal. Well, I can't wait to watch the episode. But what else do you guys have coming out on Beyond the Grid in these upcoming episodes? Yeah, so we have a, a batch of four coming up um, that we're going to release over the next uh, month or two. And, uh, yeah, late season elk hunting with a rifle. Some of my, my good friends, Dan Nutlich and Mike Crenshaw, they've been on a lot of the Beyond the Grid stuff. Um, they're rifle elk hunts. Um, got Brandon here in the office, his archery elk hunt here in Wyoming and his son Hunter, he drew the same tag and he shot a great bull with a rifle. Uh, so just a lot of action in, in all these videos and a lot of fun too. Um, we do a lot of joking and especially with, uh, Dan Nutlich, he's a, a funny guy and, and we have a, a ton of fun, uh, hunting out there together. Um, and then an, another buddy, he drew a late season mule deer tag in Idaho that we hunted last year around Halloween as well. And so, um, yeah, some kind of a, just a variety of, of deer and elk and, you know, some late season stuff and some early season stuff and, um, some rut stuff in, in between there. So, uh, kind of a good variety of just your classic elk and mule deer hunting. Man, some awesome episodes coming up. Uh, Dan, you sure have done a, a, a stand-up job or standout job like capturing these hunts and, you know, of you and your circle of buddies and guys in the office, man, just some great beyond the grid. It's it's really picking up steam, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a huge bump and, and you know, just trying to, well, we I think we have been nailing it just on on the type of content that guys want, you know, and, and it seems like hunts that anybody can do. Those are big. You know, you want deer and elk hunts. Everybody wants to hunt deer and elk and everybody can hunt deer and elk if they want to. And so um, 
yeah, just hunts that guys can relate to and anybody can go do is what we, we uh, try to definitely focus on. And, you know, these are, you know, 99% of our hunts are just public land hunts that either generals or, you know, a lot of them are tags that guys have drawn. And so uh, it's nothing special. We're not paying big money for these animals or anything. We're just good old classic going out there and working our tails off and seeing what we can come up with. Yeah. Just grit blue collar. That's what I love too. Um, yeah. Uh, you're spot on Dan. That's, that's why it's picked up steam and it, it's amazing. It's, it's cool to watch, um, uh, Eastman's kind of adapt to, to, you know, the, the new age of, of watching entertainment, you know, through the computer, through YouTube, through beyond the grid, um, you know, we still have our TV show on the Outdoor Channel, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's fun to see him put more effort and energy into this Internet TV show. And, and we just don't have the handcuffs on that. You know, we can edit things. You can edit things the way you want them or the, you, the way you want to show them. And and so it, it we just don't have so many limitations. And so I can see why it's just absolutely taking off, uh, you know, one, because of your content, and then another because of the platform where everybody can go on and watch it. And you don't need a TV subscription. You don't need to tune in at a certain time. It's any – any chance you have, you can sit down and start that hunt. So I just think it's really cool. Uh, you just done a great job with it, Dan. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. We definitely keeping the fun in it. And I think that's a big part of the, the success is just having fun with it and a lot of effort too. And, and, uh, it's, it's been rolling good for us for sure. Good. Well, um, you talked a little bit earlier about, um, your elk tag that you have that you're going to go in and hunt it early and that you have trail cameras in there. Um, how would you say that your tactics differ hunting elk in that early season than they do in like the mid season or heart of the rut or even post rut? Yeah, I talked about this kind of tactic uh, the other day with a buddy, but it seems like what I've found hunting all over the West, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, every mountain range is a little bit different with how the elk act and where they summer and how far they travel to rut, you know, where the cows summering and where, where are these elk going to come together and rut and then where are they going to, to winter? And every mountain range is a little bit different. I've found and and like, like the breaks, you know, up in Montana, these elk don't really have a summer range and a, and a winter range. It's kind of all the same, and they're they're a very nomadic animal, so they move around a lot. But the country really doesn't differ that much uh, up there. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have you know some the high mountain stuff, and there's a lot of that in in Montana and Wyoming as well. But you know the country that bulls spend their summer and some of the rut, you know, above timberline, high elevation, uh, alpine stuff. And then they, they winter, they travel, you know, a, a greater distance and they winter down on private, basically lower country, egg fields. And in the middle is kind of the transition zone, maybe where they'll finish up the rut um, and, and spend time migrating through, but it might not be like a focused area to hunt. So to get to your question, this area, it's more of a, you know, an, an alpine uh, summer zone. Uh, trail cams above tree line on water sources. You know, there's there was some glaciers up there that they've kind of melted off. So um, water has gotten a little more scarce now as of recently. And so as of now, I haven't really got too much action on my trail cams. I know the elk are there, but there's really no 
um, you know, food source or water source or no one single trail that I've set my camera on that, you know, you're going to get photos of all the bulls on. And so I expect uh, August to be a little more action on the trail cams. You know, they're going to have to come to these water sources um, and, you know, they're going to start wallowing. They're going to start rubbing their velvet here in a couple weeks and they're going to hit these water sources a little more. And then I'll really get an idea of what type of bulls are in here. And then that's why I'm, I'm kind of focused on hunting it early because these bulls, you know, once they pull off of their summer range, you know, maybe the 6th, 7th, 8th, maybe even the 10th of September, they drop down and they're, they're in totally different country. And so the best way to pattern them, especially if you can find a giant bull, and, and I did this last year, killing that big old bull, was hunting them early hunting them before they transition into the rut area and they're still kind of in their summer zone and they're still kind of feeling each other out for who's going to be dominant. And they're, they're pretty aggressive at that stage and looking hard. And um, so I, I really want to focus on, you know, if I find a giant bull, you know, I'm going to be up there August 31st camp to ready for that opener on September 1st in that zone and ho hopefully get in on a giant first thing. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Boy, you have such a good understanding of elk and the way they use terrain and things by paying attention for so many years. But, um, man, you can be more spot on. So those those elk. Yeah. I mean, right now they're living in their in their summertime uh, uh, summertime locations or whatever. And so they're living a lot like a mule deer right now where they're living in bachelor herds and they're living at the very top of the mountain. I found a, a batch of bulls. Um, in the crazies a few weeks ago uh, with a couple of really nice six points in it, but they were living at the head of this drainage so far above where all the cows or the elk numbers were, uh, which is where they will move, move down to, to rut. And, um, but they were, they were hidden in this bold basin and just surrounded by rock cliffs and in this green avalanche shoot living in there about six, seven bulls. And so, yeah, this time of year, um, when you're scouting elk, that's not where they're going to be during season. It's not like a mule deer that you can scout in the summer and you know he's going to be close there, uh, you know, come September. These elk, they're they're going to tend, to, they're going to move down and, and start staging for the rut, and they have to come down and move to where these cows are, you know. And so uh, that's where you have your trail cameras set, where you're looking to pick up these bulls when they transition from their high country and transition to the staging country for the rut. And you just couldn't be more spot on, Dan, about hunting them in that early season. They're susceptible. They've got like this built up testosterone. They've scraped their velvet off. They're they're getting ready for their 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 Super Bowl or their prize fight is the rut. That is why they were put on planet Earth is to rut and procreate. That's the one thing they think about during September. And so they start moving down in that early season. They're really susceptible to to calls, to coming in and checking out cows, and they don't always come in screaming like the heart of the rut. A lot of these bulls will come in silent, um, but but they are susceptible that time of year, right before they get staging or right before they get to the heart of that rut, where they're trying to gather up cows, look at cows. Like you stated, they're really trying to feel each other out. They're still trying to to test who's going to be the dominant bull for the rut and who's going to command those cows. So you just, you couldn't be more spot on in your tactics and hunting those things in the early season. And I really believe 
that that beginning part of September from the 1st to the 15th, uh, I think those big bowls are are maybe even more susceptible than they are during the heart of the rut. 100%. 100%. That, that's, the, in my opinion, the best time to kill a big one is early like that. And if you talk to a lot of guys, guys with a lot of experience over the years, and just from what I've seen too, that these big bulls, these, you know, super giants, you know, ultra mature breeder bulls, they don't show up to, to play around, you know, pre-rut. They, they come down to breed and then they leave is, is what I've seen in a, in a lot of country that I've hunted and, and that, that type of, of activity with those big bulls. And, and they're, they're just so difficult to keep tabs on. But they they don't come down and waste their energy, you know, fighting raghorns. They they let the raghorns chase the cows around in, in pre-rut before estrus, and you know they're burning all their energy and and wasting their time more or less. And a lot of those cows won't let younger bulls breed them. And those old bulls, it's it's like they know they know when it's time. They come down to the show, they do the breeding, and then they move on. And, and go find cows somewhere else or, or go retreat back up into the high country. Every place is a little different, but I've noticed that too. And, and they, in that case, you know, during the rut, usually those giant bulls, they have a ton of cows. It's super difficult to get close to and to kill them. You, and you always hear guys there middle of September, third week of September, you know, chasing giant bulls, but can't get them killed because they're with a hundred cows the whole time. It's so true. Yeah, it's it, and those bulls, they let their guard down. You know, they, they'll still catch movement, and they're not going to put up with predators chasing them. But they let their guard down a little bit. But it seems like killing those big bulls once you get a past uh, the tenth or fifteenth of September, it, it's all about trying to get close to those cows and trying to outsmart all those cow eyes to kill that bull. So you're right in that early season. You may just catch that bull looking or by himself or with a handful of cows where he's a lot easier to kill. Yep, exactly, exactly. And there's plenty of exceptions to that rule, just like there is in all types of bow hunting. But, yeah, for the most part, that's what those old bulls do. They kind of just hang in the timber, just kind of lurk on the sidelines and, and just wait for the rut to come around before they go in and expose themselves and and breed cows. Yeah, you're right. They're not going to go and and dork off with all the younger bulls or try to try to keep tabs on a on a, a harem if they're not rutting. In fact, I've seen big bulls in the middle of September or the 20th of September where like a a big it was it was like a big rut party happened for like a day or two. Like you'd hear three or four hundred bugles and they were sorting out everything and breeding and cows and estrus. The, the rut, yeah, it seems to ebb and flow, and it ebbs and flows all the way through the season, and it ebbs and flows different in every mountain range. I can go on one side of my range, and bulls will be bugling like crazy, and then I go on the other side of range, and nothing's happening. But to, I, I've seen big bulls during the heart of the rut where there's no cows and estrus, where they're just um, 
they're refilling their tank where they're just feeding in meadow grass and they're all by themselves and it's the 25th of September and they could care less about a cow because they know no cows are in estrus. They just went through the big rut party. Everything's calmed back down. They're going to feed for a day or two and save their energy. And one of the biggest bulls I ever chased would come down and breed the cows at night and then he wouldn't stay with the cows. He'd, he'd leave the cows and go by himself. Now, to our point, you know, we're talking about the early season and wanting to catch a bull on his own. But this bull, you know, he had like a – if he was with those cows all day, he was susceptible to hunters finding him and hunters hunting him and making a play on him. If he just went on his own into some deep, dark canyon, it was like no hunters could really get a play on him. But he would just come down to rut at night. And then he would not stay with the cows throughout the day. He'd just leave them and go out on his own. And I thought that was pretty wild too. Just kind of some of the behavior of these older age class bulls, you know, what their tendencies are during the rut or what's uh, what's kept them alive for so many hunting seasons, you know, is, is then what they fall back on. But I, I bet you see some strange things too with big bulls and how they act throughout the rut. Yeah, no, that, that's a a good example. And as you're, you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about this and where I, I've seen that or in this specific scenario that you're talking about are high pressure areas, like high hunter pressure areas. They, they nocturnal, just super tough to kill, super tough to get, uh, to get on. W- would you agree? Like higher hunter pressure areas, maybe general areas or just where there's a lot of hunters and these super bulls just get smart like that yeah you're spot on dan yep these are higher pressure areas where yeah when you're in the middle middle of the wilderness it's it's a different elk you're hunting a low pressure elk and a high pressure elk are two different species it seems like the way they act and, and just how much you can get away with like you find some of these wilderness elk it's amazing how you can sneak along the shadow edges and the timber edges and really get close to these animals and then you go to a high-pressure general spot where they may have been called to, hunted, they know what humans are, no predators are after them. And they're still elk being elk, but they're really keyed in to, to movement, looking for predators, looking for hunters. And it's like it's like two different species. Yep, yep. No, absolutely. It, I was kind of chuckling about that with my hunt from last year, the other day, because you know I killed that giant bull, but I didn't really do anything special. Uh, and it's a, a direct reflection of what you just said. You know, I'm riding up the timber line on horses and there's a bugle just inside the timber. And I was like, holy smokes, he's within a hundred yards. Sound like a little spike bugle. And so we tied up the horses and me and my camera guy just slipped inside of the timber and I just gave out just a couple light cow calls, which I, I hardly ever cow call. And this bull came in silent and he, he was just really looking because he, he heard elk, right? He heard the hooves of the horses. So he, he's believing he hears them and then he hears a cow call. And so he can't take it. He's coming in. So he came right in silent. I didn't get a shot at him, but he, he saw me move. And so what did he do? He ran straight out into the wide open and was staring at my horses. And I have a couple tan horses. He was just staring at him, and me and my camera guy slipped out to the edge of the timber. He was standing right there. I, I ranged him, set my bow sight, bow sight, and shot him through the heart. I I didn't really even do anything. I didn't have some magical play. I didn't bugle this bull in. It was just the direct difference of 
a high pressure elk versus a low pressure elk that he, they weren't afraid of the horses. They actually were very curious about the horses and that allowed me to get this bull killed. And that would, wouldn't happen in a normal, you know, a general area or a higher pressure area. And so you, you, you have all these tactics on how to kill a big bull. And then you go to a place like this and, and you just kind of have to go with what works. And the only way to really know with what works is do it as much as you can and get a little bit lucky. And, and in this case, have horses for decoys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's a great example, Dan. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, it, it, for us as elk hunters, you know, we could focus on, on one, you know, style uh, of elk hunting, but it seems like it's a mix and match to me of hunting high pressure. The high pressure locations or general season spots, those are a lot of the tags that we end up with. And and so you end up hunting high pressure elk, not really by choice, but but by uh, necessity of wanting to hunt elk every year. And so a lot of these spots we hunt are high pressured now. It is trying to find, you know, one of the biggest secrets to elk hunting is elk are where humans aren't, and they're really good at finding that country where they're not getting pressured. Um, so I do think it's a combination, like some of the the downfalls to hunting low pressure elk, like you were in that wilderness. Some of the downfalls is is that hunting that wilderness on a nomadic elk you end up putting in a bunch of miles and you can go hike 10 miles up a drainage and the elk just aren't in there and you have to pack all the way out and pack back in. And so what I find a lot of times is to, to get a stock on a bull or a chance at a bull, you know, sometimes you, you march right in the right spots or you know it from experience and know those elk will be in there rutting. But, but a lot of times, you know, I'll go two, three, four days, five days of effort and not get a chance at a bull where if I go to some, uh, the higher pressure spots that are higher populations, but more guys hunting, I seem to get a chance every day or every other day. So I get more chances. It's just those elk are better at catching me. They're more switched on. The wilderness elk are definitely the ones you want to get on because you've got a really good chance to kill them. But it's going to take a lot of days and a lot of effort and elevation to be able to find those elk and give yourself a play. Because hunting the mountains after those elk, those elk love to walk uphill. So like you, you it's it's going to be a tougher, more extreme hunt where you're going to get less chances but a better odds of, of killing them. Do you find that where you're at too of mixing and matching high pressure and low pressure spots? Yep, 100%. And that's what I was thinking about this the same hunt. I mean I went – miles and miles i think eight miles and didn't see a sign of an elk let alone hear an elk or see an elk and then i found the one basin where a jackpot of elk were and i hunted one day and killed that big bull and that was it but i i can't really say that you know i got lucky with the timing thing thing and where the elk were and got on them but as a whole that I don't know if that would have been a great hunt for most guys because there's just not a lot of elk and it's a high predator country, you know, predator population in that country with the grizzly bears and the wolves and elk are more sparse like that. But no, I see that direct correlation all the time, you know, in some of these generals that they have more elk, but there's more pressure and you, you might get on elk more. You, you might not kill them. Um, but at least you're on to elk more and, and the wilderness stuff, you know, the backcountry stuff, wilderness or non-wilderness, it can be hit or miss. I mean, it, it kind of comes down to luck sometimes and you catch them in the right place, but it can be hit or miss for sure. Yeah. And you just get good at, um, 
covering country with your eyes and with your legs and dissecting. It seems like every elk hunt, you know, they're they're tough to scout for because the elk, you know, rut in a different place than when you scout them, and there are they are so nomadic. So even if you find a really good location, there's no guarantee that those elk are going to be in there at that time of year when you hiked in there. You can hike to some of the best elk spots in the world, but the elks are, are just in different locations in that time of year. But you just get I, I get good, and I know you get really good at covering country. So, you know, I don't think that wilderness hunt was by any stretch of the imagination luck. Like, you're just really good at covering country, dissecting it, and knowing that there aren't elk in these locations, not seeing the sign, until you run into the basin where there there is elk. And, and really, that's the basis for, you know, elk hunting, is just trying to find them and get into them. And the fun of elk hunting is getting into them and making plays. And that that's why I love elk hunting, and I know you do too, is that it's it's so aggressive. Like, you see a big bull, there's, there's no real waiting for the perfect moment. Like, you just go over there, and you kind of take what the elk give you. You kind of adapt your stock, adapt your plans to what the elk are doing. You, you really try hard not to give yourself away or spook any elk. There is nothing that makes me madder than, you know, seeing a big bull and marching over there and getting close and then busting all the cows and busting that elk out of the country. God, that frustrates me. But but it is, it is part of the game because with elk hunting, you know, there's no methodical planned out play. I mean, maybe if you bet a bull or if you get a chance, but really it's just like go over there and get into them and, and rely upon your instincts to make the right decisions to hopefully put yourself in range of an elk. But that's why I love it. I love getting into elk. That's got to be the, the funnest, most thrilling hunting, just making those moves, trying to kill that bull. Man, that's that's the that's the funnest part of bow hunting for me. Yep, yep, no, 100%, same same with me. That's that's the fun of it, and it's, it's never easy, and sometimes you have hunts that – take one afternoon and then other times it takes nine days to get it done. And that's just the, the fun of bow hunting is not one hunt is ever the same. You got to be really good at capitalizing on opportunities, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes like, um, sometimes you only get one chance in 10 days or it can be an off elk season too, where you're just, your timing's off and you're not getting into them and you're putting forth all this effort and trying to use your experience but you just don't get many chances, you know. So, so yeah. I mean, um, you're 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 spot on. Just gotta capitalize on those opportunities. Be ready for that moment to capitalize because it might be your one chance. And just you know, just like your big bull last year, capitalizing on opportunities. You know that uh, bull very easily could have slipped between your fingers, and you're still chasing for that giant bull. Not that you haven't killed a bunch of them, but you know it, it's it's capitalizing on those opportunities, on those big big critters when you get them. You know those those nuances of the stock and those those micro moves that you make. They determine whether or not you get the shot, and determine whether or not you get that animal. Just even as simple as how you draw your bow. Um, you know, it's something that I, I'm always working on drawing my bow slow and trying not to get too much movement or shake in my cams, you know, as I draw, because those animals really see movement. So it can be so small as, is how you draw your bow or when you draw your bow or like you sneaking to the edge of the timber or where you have your horse's position, like all those little things come into play of whether or not you kill that bull. And, and and that's what's so fun is just trying to be at our best and trying to capitalize on those opportunities. Yep, yep. That, that's all it is is 
just trying to be at our best at all times and <laughs> thinking about that bull, I, I spooked him out of the timber, but he came into the one spot that he was blocked out by a, a big tree. And I was like, he's for me to kill him. I need him to come on the right or the left side of this tree. And he came right in line with it. And I just barely peeked off to the, the side of the tree and I saw his beam sticking out. He was 35 yards and the tree was big enough. I don't believe he, he, he didn't see us. He, he knew or didn't know we were there. And, you know, I motioned my camera guy. He, he was on record and I just ever so slowly drew my bow. And then we just, just floated out, just peeking out from the tree, just ever so slowly. And the bull made us, I mean, 35 yards and he wasn't even looking directly at us, but I did find out later after I killed him, he only had one eye. And so this bull saw this movement and it just a minute amount, the smallest movement. And he spun on a dime and I cow called when he spun and he, he didn't stop. I mean, he saw something, he didn't stop. Those old bulls, they're too smart for that. Even in a low pressure area, he spun on a dime and then just took off and left the area directly the same way that he came in. Man. And yeah. And then, you know, the rest is history running out. It just goes to show you like that, just the tiniest movement. You're like, Oh, you'd probably be able to get away with it. Or he, he might like stare you down for a little bit at least, but he saw that slightest movement with his one good eye and he was out of there. <laughs> they they do not mess around. They do not get that old by accident. And and I can't like just like you're describing that bull, I, I can't tell you how many big six point bulls that I've been trying to kill that I'm one move away or one hold still away. And it seems like once you give yourself away or once they catch that movement, man, the gig's up. You can cow call all you want to try to stop that thing. I don't know how many times I've tried to cow call in a panic after I've drawn my bow and that bull just starts to spook and all I need him to do is stop in the next 30 yards. They, they hardly ever do it. They just, they just keep – they just know that's danger. Get the heck out of here. They just have a knack for making the right moves. So, yeah, your your best opportunity is to make those right moves like in that beginning where you don't you know give yourself away. But, but definitely easier said than done as those bulls, they just catch you. And even the cows for that matter, um, you have to be careful when you draw your bow and really wait for that right opportunity – and I went all in on this bull last year that was a really nice bull, like a nice 330, 340 bull, sticker point on it. And he walked, and I finally had him where I could kill him. I, I thought my cameraman had him. Um, so I, I drew back. But when I drew back, all the cows to my left saw me draw my bow. So I had given myself away. I was all in on that moment. And I swung over to that bull, and the cameraman didn't have him. And you know, I could have made the decision and shot him. I, I decided to try to let down really slow. But at that cha at that point, all those cows had already seen me draw. I had given myself away. So the moment I made that next move and let down, the cows blew up. Bull didn't know I was there. He was away from the cows chasing off another bull. But now when the, all the cows blow up, the gig is up. It's all over, you know. And so he circled back around to those cows and, and didn't get a chance. But – um. Yeah, that that movement and when you draw an animal, see it like like all those little things sure come into play, and and it's tough. We're not perfect. You're just trying to be at your best, like you say, and and try to not make any major mistakes. Because man, is that frustrating when you 
when you look back and go, yeah, I, I really screwed up that opportunity. I shouldn't have drawn right then, or I, I shouldn't have made that move. You know, that's, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking, but it's part of the game. It is. It's part of learning. It's part of the game. And I, I would say that, you know, in moments like that, you're, you're full send. You're making a decision. It's now or it's never. It's a very aggressive play. But I will say overall, see if you agree with me, if the, the if you're more of an aggressive mindset like that, you're going to have more opportunities. You're going to kill more bulls than if you were too timid and too afraid to make plays. Oh, you're spot on. Have to rely on your instincts and think you can kill that bull every time. And yeah, you're going to make some mistakes, but you're right. That aggressive nature of trying to make something happen, it pays off. Yep, it does. In the end, and as a whole, it pays off. You might blow them up a little bit, but if you're too timid, you know, timid elk hunting is, it doesn't usually work out for you. Nope. And it's just a different style of aggressive elk hunting relying upon your instincts. It's why me and you love it so much. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. It's, It's a challenge and it's, it's so difficult to master. It's probably impossible to master, but, uh, when you're running and gunning or spotting stock like that, um, yeah, it's it's definitely difficult and aggressive. Knowing when to be aggressive at the right time is huge. Man, that's it. Well, Dan, you are one of my favorite guys to talk to. And as hard as elk hunting is to master, you definitely become really proficient and good at it. Your, your insight is just so valuable. So, man, I just always really enjoy our conversations on and off the podcast. And uh, I, I really appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I once again, this is one of my favorite conversations of the year, too, talking about elk. I think I had goosebumps about at least three quarters of this whole conversation. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. And yeah, it's always great to be on, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see this giant bull elk hunt. So if you get a chance, send me a link. If not, it comes out this Saturday. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Saturday the 8th, I believe it'll be out. And it's definitely one not to miss. Yeah, just beautiful country and a beautiful bowl. And then, like you say, the next handful of episodes are all great ones with Brandon and his kid and just some great beyond the grids hitting the deck. And, um, yeah, and I can't wait to see what you turn up this year. I know you're getting started here um, August, right? You got a hunt coming up? Yeah, actually, August 15th, I'm going to go up and film an archery goat hunt, oddly enough, in the Beartooth. So that'll be kind of the first one for me. A, a local guy drew it, and I was like, yeah, heck yeah, I want to get on, in on that. So <laughs> that'll be the first official hunt, but it's going to be here in, what, 10 days. It's go time. Man, how cool. Those big mountain hunts early, they sure uh, help to get the legs in shape, don't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's so fun in the high country early like that you know the weather's usually good and if it's 90 in the valley it's probably 70 up there and it's just the most beautiful time up there as far as i'm concerned oh it is the best time of year to be up there no bugs and uh good temperature yeah Yeah, man that's fun well super excited to follow along in your season uh thanks again dan i appreciate it we'll talk to you soon sounds good brian thanks good luck out there okay all right guys Man, fun conversation with Dan. He always gets me fired up to go bow hunting. Uh, So happy for him and that giant bull he harvested. Make sure to check out that hunt that's out now on Beyond the Grid. And um, yeah, thanks to Dan for taking the time. I always enjoy our conversations. So um, I want to thank our sponsor, Sitka Hunting Gear. Uh, Just building the best technical mountaineering gear on the planet. I really appreciate their support. 
so nice to be partnered with such great companies that produce the the best gear out there. So uh, just c- couldn't be happier with everything I've got going on. And I, I just uh, really thank you guys for the support. I'm um, just getting done with that. My first fall hunt of the year, able to arrow buck deep into the hunt. What a great grind it was too. Just in the heat. Um, man, when I killed that buck, uh, I definitely riding the, the, the line of, of hydration and dehydration and, um, really had to push and, uh, just executed an absolute perfect stock on this buck, let him get out of his bed, put a good shot on him and it doesn't get any better. Uh, at least for guys like us that, uh, live, eat, sleep, and breathe, you know, backcountry bow hunting, man, what a great adventure. So a uh, great way to start off the season, um, pumped i've got some really good podcasts to release to you guys and uh, keep getting you guys that good information so you guys can be successful this season on all your adventures and uh, yeah just appreciate all the support you guys support here support with that eastman's fly cast and and uh, support with everything i do Uh, absolutely humbled um by you guys and and um man i i just uh Going on these backcountry hunts, it just gives me such perspective in my life and appreciation, and I'm just so humbled that you guys uh, uh, listen in every week and and follow along on the social media and uh, encourage me along the way, and I just want to see you guys be successful as well. So make sure to send me your trophy picks uh, when you guys are successful this season. Hard work pays off. It, uh, it that That is the... The, the separation or, the, you know, that's that is the key to uh, backcountry Western hunting is just that that constant effort, you know, hard work, dedication, discipline, like all those things come into play. Uh, I just I absolutely love it so much and uh, really appreciate you guys. So thanks for listening in. That's the podcast. I'll check in with you next week.